This episode of The Cool Ship brought to you by Homebrew University at 160 Main Street in lovely downtown Hackettstown, New Jersey. Homebrew University for all your homebrewing needs. Don't know how to make beer? No problem. Warren, the Professor Wilson, will help you design a kick-ass recipe for your favorite style and brew it on premise. He might even let you rub his belly for good luck. That's Homebrew University at 160 Main Street in Hackettstown, New Jersey. Se habla espanol. Deutsch gesprochen. Le français est parlé. All right, on with the show. Welcome to the Cool Ship Podcast, dedicated to beer lovers, home brewers, and professionals alike. With your host, Warren, the Professor Wilson, and Matt, Zigmeister Ziegler. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to grab a beer and chill on the cool ship. Wilson and Matt Ziegler. It's been about a month now, Matt, has it not? Yeah, been about that. It's been, been some time. I was, you know, I was trying to think. I mean, we got yelled at today by Carl because we're not having a regular show. Yeah, no. Fuck him. Um, I was trying to think back when we had them eating, so excuse me. When we had our show, uh, it was in June, I know that. It was around Father's Day. I know that. I think it was after Father's Day. Yeah, I think we were discussing my anniversary, but it was after which, the anniversary. Which was, was it after your anniversary? I think it was after, because that was the 11th. We definitely right. had it after the 11th. So uh, it was later June, and I thought we were on target for another show late July. So mm-hmm. um, I guess that's where it brings us to here today. <laughs> Here to today. It's been a long couple. It's been a long month for sure. Definitely has. I think for both of us. I think. Uh, why don't you give us a little update about what's going on at the brewery? I know you are. Uh, you're killing it, man. You're doing fucking awesome. There's yeah. There's a lot of a lot of things going on with the brewery right now. We're in a a state of decision making. A lot of a lot of new things starting up. Um, we just got two new tanks in. So start of. One month, about a month, month and a half into into year two. Um, weird to say. <laughs> I'm just I'm just thinking about a year and a half ago. Yeah. How frustrated you were. Two years ago, how frustrated yeah. you were with the state of where you were. I mean, just think if you were, I don't know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and this, yeah. if you were in your building at the same time you signed the contract to get into the building. You would have already been gone. This problem, you already <laughs> this problem would have been passed. You probably would have been going. Yeah, we're, we're adding our sixth fermenter. <laughs> <laughs> that might come even sooner. It's going to come. Day. No, it's going to come for sure. So, you just got to have to get uh, a new facility to brew in something bigger. Yeah, we got two two new fermenters in yesterday. Got those delivered yesterday. We uh, same company. Yep, 
We uprighted those and uh, hooked them all up uh, this morning. And, um, and how tall is that? Those tanks? Mm-hmm. They're about 11 feet tall. And so about how wide are they? About they the same? They are five and a half feet. Five and a half feet wide? That's the circumference. That's the diameter. Or that's the diameter. So they're 10 feet wide. No. Oh, the radius is two and a half feet. Yeah. The yeah five and a half foot diameter. diameter. I got you. No, I got you. I'm a little slow. But the biggest so. issue is, is like those tanks, like we have to lift them up with the forklift. So as we're, as we're picking them up with the forklift, there's a ratchet strap attached to the top of it. We're moving the forklift forward, lifting it up, lifting it up, lifting it up. Just before these tanks stand completely up, my forklift is like rubbing on the ceiling at 17 feet up there. <laughs> so the top of your fork truck. Yeah. The tank is nowhere near the ceiling, but the top of the fork truck is. Yeah, because once you get up there, you got the ratchet straps right. dangling. You got, you know, slack. Or the lines are tight, but you're getting some length into them and stuff like that, so... I think where it, where are you standing at this time? Oh, I'm on the forklift. Well, okay. So, if there was a fork truck fork truck driver, where mm-hmm. are where is the other people standing? They're behind the forklift on the opposite side of me, so holding the straps. tank okay. with straps. So that way, so once it, it finally picks up, and once it picks up and is suspended, it doesn't slam into the uh, into the forklift. So. It took us a little bit to get the first one up because we had to remember exactly how to pick tanks up. But once we got that up, the second one went pretty easy. Popped them into the spot. We had uh, some plumbers come in this uh, this morning to hook up our glycol lines because we didn't have time to do it ourselves. And then this evening, I hooked up the electrical to it. Um, now, does your glycol line have to be enlarged if you get more tanks? No. Your glycol has enough glycol in it? so We had to add more liquid to the reservoir um how big is the reservoir it's like 200 no 100 gallon just any freeze you're adding to it not just not like it it is an antifreeze but it's not your typical antifreeze not like rv antifreeze or no it's like food grade propylene glycol more expensive uh it's a bit more expensive yeah could you use antifreeze from a car <laughs> i i could i'm sure i could um but if there was ever an issue with leaks, propylene glycol, because it's food grade, it would kill people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, we're running into, I think we was talking about this last time, too. We were running into uh, storage, mm-hmm. cold storage issues. And you're front um, on that? We're, we're, we have some movement on, on stuff there. We, we're uh, purchasing a refrigerated overseas container we're renting another refrigerated overseas container where um we're potentially going to be well we're looking at other places to build cold cold storage um but an interim step may be to get even more tanks for bright tank storage so that way instead of kegging stuff off we just keep beer in the bright tanks and uh, just kind of can keep it that. So, like, beers that we know can last longer, like our stout, the amber ale, stuff like that, we can get 60-barrel tanks 
brew into there and never have to keg those off and hold in the cold storage. Just keep them in the bright tank and keg them off as needed. Um, that would save us probably, you know, eight pallet spaces on the floor right there, um, which would make room for the cans, which are selling like crazy. So another thing we're going to have to get is um, just some overseas dry, uh, containers for dry storage and move all of our empty kegs into it, move all of our uh, empty bottles into there and the uh, empty cans just to get them off the floor so we can make space for these more tanks coming through and everything like that just because the... The canning as it is right now, we got the Kolsch, we got the Pale Ale, we've got the IPA and the Double IPA, a new variant of the Double IPA coming out next Friday. Um, but second Friday in August, I think, is the 8th. The Oktoberfest is coming out. The Stout is being canned. Uh, Oktoberfest is being canned also. And then halfway through the month, another two weeks after that, we've got the Amber Ale going to be canned also so all five of our year rounds plus the double ipa and a seasonal will all be in cans each one of those taking up three pallet floor spaces of just cans that's 21 spaces of cans that pretty much fills up my cold box as it is without kegs so we're going to need definitely need by the end of august some extra cold storage just to keep up with that and then we just signed on with wegmans um for them to take our cans uh, we're in all the Bottle Kings. Uh, we're looking to grow our distribution in the airport with cans as well. Um, adding more shop rights on, as well as, you know, the other, you know, uh, smaller liquor stores and non-chain liquor stores and stuff like that for all the cans. So Same it's, times, it's, man. There's got to, I mean, you got to imagine that you would have grown pretty quickly, but not like this. No, we were... I think I mentioned probably a few times. I mean, we're expecting 1,000 barrels the first year, 2,000 barrels by the second anniversary, 3,000 barrels by the third, and just kind of keep going like that. What did you do your first year? We had 1,500 for the first year, and we're looking at probably 4,500, if not 5,000 for the second year. So it's growing very rapidly. Are you going to be brewing around the clock? Uh, we could be uh, at some point. Right now, we're double batching every day. So I get in at 5.30, and I leave about 7 at night. Um, was that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? That's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, and because we got the new tanks and it's three brew, three brew days one week, two brew days the next. Um, so Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, one week, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, the next week um, to rotate those tanks through. Because uh, it's pretty much 14 days in the ferment in, um, in the fermenters. Oh, less than that, but enough time to trans cold crash and then transfer stuff over to have that tank open for the next brew to go in. And then every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're brewing in the pilot system at least two batches a day, getting ready for Hopfest on the 12th of August, um, which is going to be crazy. It's all different. This isn't like, you know, just variations off Shipwright and, and Falconer. This is all new beers, mainly um, to showcase the new style that we're coming out with, uh, or new brand we're coming out with, the uh, uh, Deep Sea series, uh, which is a, a rotating IPA, just any kind of IPA that we think of putting into a can or into a keg, uh, it'll go under that name, um, Deep Sea. So the Hop, Hop Fest is going to kind of showcase all that new stuff, and uh, once I get an open fermenter, we'll start actually canning some of it, but... A lot, of, a lot of new stuff on the horizon coming for the brewery. Um, new cans, 
you know, extra festivals. We got the Oktoberfest coming uh, end of September, 1st first, uh, of October. So Three-day event. Yeah. Friday, Saturday, Sunday event. I think it's the 29th, 30th, and 1st. Right. Uh, 29th and 30th of September and the 1st of October. The Saturday, the 30th of September will be the big day. Um, a lot going on for that day. We're hoping to bring in more restaurants than we had last time. Uh, B. McNally's is going to have a big pull in on this one. Um, so hopefully we can get a uh, big focus on both streets. Um, we're going to have a nice big German music band. Um, it should be an awesome time. Yeah, it should be good times. If you uh, if you guys get around to Hackestown on the 28th, 29th, and the, I'm um, sorry, 29th, 30th, and the 1st, uh, 28th, 29th, or 29th and 30th of September and the 1st of October. If you're around Hackestown, you got to stop in. It's going to be between the streets of um, Washington and Maine in um, Grand and Valentine. That little square of a, of a, uh, a block of Hackestown. Um, I believe Grand, between the streets of Washington and Maine, are going to be closed. Valentine and Grand. I think we're doing the kind of same thing that we did with... Um, the MyFest, um, there's going to be, like Matt said, probably three times or even four times the amount of food that was showcased in the last Oktoberfest. And we're going to have a big German band and, and a couple other bands, too, are playing, too, if I'm not wrong, right? Throughout yeah. the day, there's going to be like four, six bands, I think, are all together. Yeah, pretty, like that. pretty close to that. Um, maybe Grand's going to have three bands, I think, or three, maybe even four. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be, I think, three over on Valentine's. So. There's good times. It's going to have a good time. Um, I'm I think sure we're, we'll, be, we'll be talking about those events even on the next couple shows. I just want to make sure that you know everyone's got it on their radar mm-hmm. going forward. You know, Look for a, um, a more steady pace, too. So the Cool Ship Podcast is going to be coming um, and recording on a more regular uh, basis because uh, we got uh, yelled at by our producer. Um, no, it'll still be once a month. It's still gonna be <laughs> but, once a month, but it's gonna be on the a beginning day of the month. Yeah. Oh, so. <laughs> Scheduled. By the um, way, no, nobody likes hearing you eat, Warren. Oh, I don't care. It's good radio. Yeah, it is good radio. So, <laughs> um, yeah, he's like, "Don't eat, Warren." But what about uh, what's what's going on with the shop over here? I talked about the brewery. Talked about events. What's going on with you? Don't we're here. To talk about what's in your hand. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah, we're we're updating University? about stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um. We've been firing at all cylinders, man. I'm tired. I am exhausted. There's uh, <laughs> There's been a lot going on here. Um, every time I get an inventory in, two days later, I'm out. It's just, uh, for a summer, that's something that's I've never seen. In the, this is a, going on our fifth year now. Um, yeah, your shelves are empty, dude. My shelves are empty, and my order was in over the weekend. So I remember um, last summer and the summer before that, it was dead. I was scared that I had to close the doors. I mean, that's how scary slow it was. This year, I'm on record pace uh, to match my fall production. So That's nuts. It's crazy. This this year, for some reason, has been a godsend. Knock wood. I don't want to jinx it, but yeah. um, thanks to all the patrons that are out there. I mean, it's just been a phenomenal response from a lot of people. I'm getting all these emails in from people saying how great of a store it is, how great of a atmosphere it is, how wonderful it is, uh, changing atmospheres for, or, you know, outlooks on people when they come in the door, they, they come in disgruntled, they leave happy. Um, and I, yeah. you know, well, I'll tell you this, Warren, the first time I ever came here, <clears throat> I had been to all the other homebrew shops, which are just 
shelves upon shelves upon shelves upon shelves of shit. And it's intimidating, right? You're a first-time brewer. You barely yeah. know what you're doing. Right. You walk into the place, and you're like, I have no effing clue what any of this stuff is. This is really intimidating. I should leave. And in fact, in some places that I went to, and I won't name them, the first place I ever went, I was like, do you guys have, like, I don't know, like a brew in a bag or, like, some real easy way to brew beer? They're like, we would never sell something like that here. Right? I was thinking, like, a Mr. Mr. Beer type kit or I called it brew in a bag, but mm. that was the wrong term. And they're like, we would never sell something like that. It was just, like, this snobbery around it. I walk I, And I walk into here, and it's, like, just sort of the basics. It's, like, it's what you, it's what you need to get, to get going. You have everything that anybody would want very well organized and it's not intimidating with just a bunch of shit about to fall on your head really comfortable atmosphere with the with the chairs and well, I think and the high top tables and everything like that i just walked in and i was like i was really comfortable so that was a, it's a very big difference from other homebrew shops you know i think the, the other thing too is like you walk into a lot of other places and you feel the moment you walk into the door at those places you feel like i'm supposed to know what i'm doing already. yeah that's exactly right and you come it's in intimidating. here it's really intimidating because of the way you had the place set up and it's open and it's homey there's you know yeah. You got your books. You got the bottles. You've got you know just a nice well, open atmosphere. You got other people's uh, yeah I mean, creations it, lining you, you the shelves. You come in and and yeah. you you expect yeah. that it's like, I mean yeah, there's a lot going on, but it doesn't just hit you in the face with uh, if I don't know what the hell I'm doing, I'm I can't do anything right here. Yeah. You right. greet yeah. them the moment they come in. Hey, if there's anything I can do for you, and it's just it it comes across as a helping people get into beer as opposed to. Uh, what do you want to buy? Um, it's the difference a, between going to Home Depot and going to Charlie's local hardware store, yeah. right, or something like that, where Charlie greets you at the door and is like, "All right, what's your project today?" Sure, right. I mean, um, when I first got into it a long time ago, uh, I went to a store that was just cluttered. It yeah, was, they're all. You like walked that. in, and they're I'm a big guy. Like I'm a big guy. If I bump yeah. into something, man, you ever see that? The YouTube commercial <laughs> where the where the guys that are a bad day at work yep. and they knock over that whole yep. section of library books right. and just dun, 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 that'd yep. be me at a at a homebrew shop. So when I open this up, I want it space. I want it to have enough space around. And you know, my partners had a lot to do with the uh, the decorating and the light, the dark, and feeling comfy and homey with this. Yeah. Um, but I just I just want it space. I want it to be able to people touchy feely. Yep. You go online, you can't really touchy feely anything. Yeah. You come here, you can open up the bins, you can taste the grain, you can smell the hops, you can open up. Yep. See what I have as far as ingredients. Yeah. I'm more ingredients focused than I am equipment focused, but that's not to say that I can't yeah. get you guys into um yeah, that's more advanced thing. equipment. That's, that's, that's true. I mean, right. That's the big thing. It's not like... Uh, we do a lot of things here customized. Yeah, so right. you come in, you want to build your own recipe, we build that off from scratch. Yeah. Whether it's extract or whether it's all grain. You want to... You want to do? Uh, you want to build your own system? I get kegs in. I have six of them now sitting there. I'll get a lot of stuff in, but I get them in. If you want to do like a ball lock, a pin lock, we do that. If you want to build your own cooler, we try to do it on as inexpensively as as possible to get you to the next level yeah. and to get you even started. I mean, you're only talking what seventy dollars to buy a kit, yeah. um, and you're you're brewing. Yep. So um, it's just. The response from the people and the, the laughter that the people come in, and the, the, the smile on their face when they leave here is what makes this all worth it for me. Um, it's what I wish I had when I started. Yep. And so I just try to pay it forward from that. And, uh, you know, knowing that having support throughout the town and having two other people that are now kicking the ball or hitting the ball out of the ballpark with their products and having these destination location that we've always talked about um, having in Hackettstown, it's coming to fruition, and it's it's pleasant. I mean, we have more 
I see more and more people walking up and down Main Street than I have in my whole life, and I've lived here my whole time, mm-hmm. my, whole, my whole life. And now we have a beat cop that walks up and down the street. Yeah. First time ever there's a beat cop that walks up and down the street making things, things are safe, making sure there's no crime going on. And people, there's just drones of people. And I was in Morristown the other day coming home. Downtown um, Morristown? Downtown Morristown. Yeah, and there was, that, it was well, a I buzz. Remember. There was a ton of people. This was on a Tuesday night. Right. A ton of people. I, I used to live in Florham Park, and, and like, Morristown I, was hope, not a cool place to be. No. But now? Now it's great. And I hope that Hackerstown can get there. And we're starting yeah. to. We're starting yeah, yeah. to see more and more people because of what you do, Matt, because of what Joe does. And because there's a pickle of, place going in. And there's a pickle place right down the road. <laughs> so, um, because of these new... Bring it to Main Street type businesses. Now, yeah. I was on Facebook the other day. A good friend of mine was like, "No, I shop on Amazon all the time. I, it's great. I got I'm Amazon hooked. I'm Amazon junkie." And I'm thinking to myself, "This is gonna really." I wanted to say something, but I can't. But Amazon is gonna put us out of business. Shopping online and all these people who so just here, don't want to do anything. So here's the difference, though, Warren. What you're doing is you're you are. Retail has to become a destination. The idea of right, I'm gonna right. I'm gonna spend a lot of time to go to Sears to pick up some pencils mm-hmm. and a T-shirt, that those days are done, right? Right? Or I'm just or and and or I'm just I'm just gonna shop online if I'm just gonna shop online for some ingredients for brewing and it's free shipping, whatever. I get it, mm-hmm. right? But this is a destination, right. which is somebody's gonna come here and they're gonna hold your hand through the brewing process and is gonna remember you time to time. I mean, there, there's that that sort of personal touch. Um, is really important for the future of retail, and that's what's happening in this town. It's the personal touch around your your brewery with your dad greeting everybody and and everybody sort of knowing one yeah. another. Same thing with Joe Joe Fisher's place. Yep. Joe's sort of the the magnet that draws people to that, and then you you here. And I don't really know all the other businesses, well, but we it got seems all pet the ones store, that are, yeah, we got a, a it's the pers- subs. I yeah, mean, it's it's the it's the personal touch that makes the difference. If it's just a subway is not going to do well compared to. You know the 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 local guy that uh, that remembers your name and ta- asks you about your kids in college. Or we had a group here, um, and we have good like we have good food in this town. We had a group here last week, and they wanted sushi. So I'm like, all right, we have two sushi places. We go to Gaza. We go to Wasabi. Yeah. Wasabi, you can walk to, and on your way, you can stop at the breweries and then stop at Wasabi. Yeah. So that's what they chose to do. They said they got to Wasabi. I mean, these people um, left here it was a all grain batch. They dowed in and went down. And I'm looking at my clock, and it's like 50 minutes later, 55 minutes later, 57 minutes later. I'm like, they're cutting it close because it's a 60-minute mash. They walk in with the because they were getting wasabi to go. A huge boat, like $150 worth of oh, sushi. <laughs> they came back with like a whole box full of like uh, desserts for free. Three T-shirts because they had to wait for their sushi. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and that's what. I mean, I mean, they're yeah. new and they right. get it. They get yeah. customer service. Like we're yeah. so, they were like so yeah. apologetic. I think they took ten percent off their bill. And so, um, when you do stuff like that, when you're yeah. customer focused and customer oriented, and I think it makes a big difference. And that's lacking. That's lacking yeah. in this yeah. country. And well, I think uh, Main Street has. I'll t- tell you a little bit of uh, another quick story in the same vein. The the other night, uh, Megan and I went to. Um, just to go see a movie here, Wonder Woman, to see uh, the, the, the cinema or Cineopolis or whatever the hell it's called. It was like the only place playing. So we went over there to see the movie. We went to Mama's first before that, and it was a local mm-hmm. eatery. Mm-hmm. And literally every 14 seconds, somebody's at your table. Do you need anything? Yeah. 
smiling at you. Mm-hmm. And by the time we were done with dinner, we were, we were like, this is fantastic. This yeah. place is, they're so friendly, they're so nice. And we juxtaposed that against, I don't want to name names, some other place that we've been to recently where 15 minutes after we sat down, nobody had even come to talk to us, even give us a menu or anything. Mm-hmm. We literally were like, after 20 minutes, we just left. We're like, nobody took a drink order, nobody did nothing. And you would like, like wave and try to get people's attention. They would look right past you. I was like, I will never, ever, 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 ever go back to that place again. And Megan gave like the worst review ever on Yelp, right, for it. The epitome versus, of customer versus, service. And the, op- the opposite was Mama's, where we were like, we were right. given like a 50% tip to people because we are like, these people were great. The, the epitome right. of customer service is Tom Shiano. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah. there's no one nicer or thanks you more yeah. than when you're walking in and like uh, giving you hugs as you leave, yeah. like, thank you for eating here, yeah, you know. Yeah. And the food's fabulous. So. Yeah, it's a big difference. It makes a big difference. Yep. All right, um, so uh, we're, we're still chugging along. I'm trying to keep my head... Above beer, um, we got a lot of beer in the back that we have to bottle yet, but so we're moving. Um, and it's uh, the word of mouth has seemed to get around, and that's a, a good special thanks to impart from the breweries. Um, and you know, I get a lot of yeah, we were over at Ziggs and we heard that you were here, so we stopped in, or we were over at Masker, we heard you were here, stopped in. So thank you guys. Um, well, thank that, you. I definitely. get the same thing from. People too. Yeah. People coming over I always, here to I always send them stuff and they stop on over. I'm like, I, I only have four, <clears throat> uh, four ounce samples that you could taste, but if you guys <laughs> want the real thing, they're right down the block here, you know, and they're not too far away. So, um, and of course, we have Jersey Girl on the Hill too. We can't forget about them. Uh, they're also doing pretty good things um, and expanding. So everyone's actually growing. And that's part, pretty parcel what we want to talk about today the growth and how we handle growth as far as. Any business, but in particular the beer industry business. I mean, uh, we're looking at these numbers today, and uh, we'll get into this a little bit more because I want to take a break. Um, Did you talk about what you have in front of you? Not yet. No, we haven't oh. talked about that yet, but we're going to talk about uh, New Belgium and uh, their growth uh, pains and and uh, their uh, – I guess it it's a good pain to have, um, but uh, we're going to talk about them. And so – Carl came up with an idea of getting some kind of a, uh, what is it, a value pack? Craft pack. Craft pack yeah. from New Belgium. And we started out tonight with Fat Tire, the quintessential um, amber that put them on the map. Uh, it was their beer that put them on the map. And it's definitely a light amber. It's definitely not a red, uh, but it's still a good, I mean, light in color. I mean, still a good, you know, uh, beer to have. And it's a quintessential amber flavor for sure. Well, you're laughing over there. What are you thinking about? Mike, uh, sorry. Matt, Matt hit the mic again, and I thought we screwed up the audio. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, Matt. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, that, that was technical difficulties before the show. Matt touched the mic and made everything blow so, up. <laughs> I don't know if you know this out there, folks, but uh, I think Matt Amber is one of your favorite beers. Yeah. It is probably the best beer that you like to make. Yep. That's your favorite to drink. It's your first batch. It was my very first batch of homebrew that I made, and it's probably my favorite style. It was your first batch at the brewery, too, your first production batch mm-hmm. on, the, on the brew system. Was it? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, uh, no. give us a little rundown about you, what you're you drinking here. You want to know why I don't know that? Because I still have I still you have know you're gay? that batch. <laughs> I do. I have a little baggie <laughs> of spent greens really? that batch. Really? Do you want to know how I know you're gay? <laughs> uh, is it my long balls? <laughs> no, you, you listen to Coldplay. It's a movie reference. Yeah, people. yeah, we get it. <laughs> Something about Mary. No, it's not that one. No, it's not that one. Um, so give us a little rundown about this new fat tire. Um, not new. This, this, new, <laughs> this new beer that just got released. July of 2000, 1974. 
What? July of 2000, 1974. So the alcohol volume is 5.2. Does it give you any information about what it's made with? It's made with grain. Maybe uh, some yeast. A little hoppy freshness. And on a restored bike ride through Europe, Fat Tire cruises the Belgian imagination and inspiration. Oh, but they got biscuit malt, biscuit like malt. Does that mean that's like victory? Is that it's probably victory? Victory. It smells so, like victory. So this is definitely more of the style of amber that I I'd like to go with. It's not the American amber. It's not hop forward. It's right. got European style hops in there. Um, I'm not peeing. A little bit of er- herbaliness, and it's got that uh, slight caramel sweetness. Not overly sweet with a you know bready malt character. No, I, I would say that's right on the money. Nice, uh, nice tawny color. Um, not really what I would consider amber. Maybe a deep gold. Hmm. Uh, maybe in the right light it is amber. But it's got a nice white off-white head that's persistent and lasts throughout the bottle. Good carbonation level, too. I'm, I'm not a really big, heavy carbonation fan. Don't like diet sodas or anything that explodes in my mouth. Like <laughs> <laughs> I don't like things that. exploding in my mouth. That's what she said. <laughs> no, that's what I said. <laughs> no, but anyway, uh, what I mean is like uh, you ever put a beer into your mouth and it just goes right to carbonation, triples or mm-hmm. um, sours or or whatnot. But this has a nice persistent head and very fine carbonation, and it's uh, gold to tawny, gold to amber in color. Same, it's copperish. Yeah. I'd say copper beer. Uh, Same color as a beer glass. Golden rod. Yep. So uh, with that said, cheers. Bottoms up. We'll be back. Hops are Willamette, Goldings, and Nugget. Really? Mm-hmm. In that order? Pale C80, Munich, and Victory Malts. Victory C80, Malts. Uh, yep. Pale so C80, Pale so said, Okay, Munich. so beer facts. 5.2%, 22 IBUs. The yeast is their house ale yeast, uh, whatever that means. It's 160 Chico. calories per serving, Chico I guess. Yep. So uh, hops are Willamette, Goldings, and Nugget. And the malts are Pale C80, Munich, and Victory. Mm. In what proportions? I could not tell you. But would, that's what I they would, say about their beer. I would probably guess it's traditional high alpha to low alpha. I don't know. 10% Munich, 6% C80, 4% biscuit, remainder pale. 2% malt. That's what I mean. Smoke mm. malt. And there's no smoke <laughs> malt. No, there's three grains of smoke malt. There's here. no smoked malt in Fat Tire. <laughs> All right, Warren, go pee. I will. We'll be back. kind of reminds me of uh oh i'm gonna talk fuck it we'll we're back this, yeah, we're, we're doing back. things we're doing things carl don't tell us not to fucking get back on don't hold my hands <laughs> um so anyway uh back to it we were talking about new belgian brewing company and i think july 17th somewhere around there they came out with an article about what had gone on 
or what is going on with their growth. And uh, I mean, a lot of, when you think about craft beer, you always, you know, you think about, oh, the, the new and upcoming, and there's so many new places opening up, but there are a lot <laughs> of places that have been around for a while. Big craft, you know, and they, you know, you, you talk about growth, you know, how, you know, the breweries getting bigger and bigger and stuff like that, but there are places, you know, they get bigger and bigger, and what do they become eventually? Do There's we still craft beer? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, unless I don't know if you saw the war against craft beer and InBev lately on the 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 thing that InBev put out. Why stamp the craft beer oh, with yeah. a stamp? And yeah, there, you know, that. all those people that got bought up. And um, regardless, let's let's move back to uh, what you were talking about. Um, it's funny. I pulled out an article from what 2016, a year and a month ago. And I think they were talking about somewhere around 4,400. Do we have a number of oh, breweries? I think we're at 56. <laughs> 5,600 breweries. That is above and beyond what we've ever seen in the United States, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and is it the most for a country to have? I think there's no other country in the world that has more than 5,600. I think, though, when, when you're... I don't think I think it might be the most, but like when you think about the actual number overall per person, when we did have the most in the United States before where we're at right now, right, right. the equivalent of where we're at right now would be like twenty three thousand breweries. So, uh, so like, for like, apples to apples, it would we yeah, still have yeah. a ways to go. Before like when we when, we, when we hit that forty seven right. or something, yeah, forty seven hundred brewery, forty four hundred breweries. Yeah. Yep. Um, the equivalent today would be 23,000. So it's like, oh, yeah, we have the most breweries ever than before. But in terms of per person, it's like every tavern was making their own beer yeah, back in the day. They were called the brewery. Yeah, right. Yeah. right. Yeah. Um, so per capita, we're still below. Yeah. So that's good news then. We still have more room to grow. But the big but thing the taverns is we're, we're very talk- small. But the thing then. we're talking about today, you know, with, with uh, New Belgium, you know, they're still considered craft. They're independent. They're, you know... Uh, there were some, a quarter of a million barrels behind um, Sierra Nevada last year. But they're, not, but they're not these, you know, small taverns that make their own beer. They're, they're a big brewery. They're one of the top producing craft breweries in the United States. And, and there's still pittance compared to... Oh, there's still pittance compared to AB. Um imbev and all them and whatnot but it you know like you were saying you were reading an article um about and it's the whole growing pains issue and everything about being a large craft brewery trying to still do the the craft beer scene being so big and having your you know the people that drink craft beer look at you as oh they're too big to be craft and yet all the people that drink macro beer are like, oh, that's craft beer. So I don't want to drink that. So they're like in that limbo zone of, you know, not being able to really find their own niche. And uh, the mushy middle. Yeah. Or something. I don't know. There's some there's some good term there. It's, yeah, it's, it's, got, it's got to be difficult. I mean, Sam Adams, Jim Cook was going through that pain. A lot of people look at Sam Adams as being bigger than craft, but smaller than InBev. Yeah. Or Bud Miller Coors BMCs. And he's like, no, I'm I'm solely, my heart is in craft, but he's so large that it's hard to yeah. envision him as being craft. And I guess when you get to be that level, um, what are they, semi-craft? I mean, yeah. like, what do you, what do, you right. do? What do you, I mean, does, but doesn't everybody aspire to be that? I mean, these people, 
You're, you're talking millions upon millions, if not billions of dollars of worth. And that's a lot to be uh, uh, proud of. I mean, and, and then yet you, you don't see that feeling coming from them. They're, they're, they're frustrated and they, they need to be identified as something and they're not. I mean, 600 employees. I can't, I'm, I'm a store running me and my wife, two people. I can't imagine 598 more people to deal with. That's just absolutely absurd. Well, I think absurd. that, you know, New Belgium has a slightly bigger facility than you have. Just a little bit. <laughs> they might need maintenance people there. <laughs> Maybe. So it's just... Well, it, it is it is interesting, though, because, you, you know, going back to the Sam Adams analogy, right? It's considered craft beer, what have you. But all you have to do is drive by the old Stroh's Brewery on Route 22 in Pennsylvania right, that was converted to a Sam Adams brewery mm-hmm. and see where they put in the new whatever it was, 100-barrel, 300-barrel, whatever the hell they were, They're fermenters. Big. They are effing big. They're and you drive past that They're and you're like, like that is the last thing in the world that I consider to be craft. That is that is freaking they're probably 1,000 process. Oh, they're monstrous. And it's like, I think, you know, the vision I have in my head of craft brewery is Matt sitting over his kettle freaking dropping in hops by hand, not somebody pumping into a thousand well, barrel. Fermenter. I mean, there's, there's right. levels of, of craft. No, right? I understand. But the, but the point is once you have Sam Adams in every bar, in every cooler, in every uh, liquor store, in every, in, Ameri- in every state in America, it's like, eh, yeah, well, you're think, craft beer because well, you're, the, cause you're not a, cause you're not a light American yeah. lager. But no, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think the big distinction too, is what people, there's a a misunderstanding of the difference between craft beer and micro micro breweries. Yeah, that's a good point. Everybody has them as interchangeable words, and yet they are very different things. Yeah, you can be a bigly micro brewery. Be bigly, we're gonna have a bigly <laughs> conversation here. You could be a micro a brewery at a million barrels a year, and <laughs> the not hands be a, were good, Warren, but yeah. nobody could see them. <laughs> No, I'm sorry, Matt. You go ahead. And not be, you know, a craft brewery because you're not, you know, independently owned or you're not, um, the people owning the business aren't connected to brewing. And I think that's one of the biggest things is your owner or somebody in ownership or having a good chunk of the ownership is still connected in the brewing process. If you're just behind a desk, you've moved away from craft beer, although you still may be a microbrewery. And I think there's a certain point in size where people still like to throw in, and because like there, there is a definition of craft beer out there, but a lot of people still say that, oh, they're a craft brewery, right. but they might not be. But people know that if you just call yourself a microbrewery, it's not as you know pretty as saying that you're a craft brewery. Right. Because everyone loves crafts and trades, and back in the day, working with your hands and stuff like that, and microbrewery doesn't scream... But craft beer does. Does does independency have to do with every, does does independency is everything that has to do with craft? If you're independent, does that mean that uh, independence doesn't mean that you're a craft brewery? But it, I think it is important in the microbrewery world. I mean, you're you're involved in uh, the Brewers Guild. Mm-hmm. They're having a meeting coming up really soon. Um, what's the conversations around the table there with indie craft? I mean, this is a this is a delicate topic, and when you when you think about it, you can really get into a, a very debated argument about 
who belongs in where and why and um, it's not fair that you know legislation is moved around for certain people because they have the money but they still want to be continued to be viewed as indie craft or craft or what I mean what is the conversation around those tables that you're you're hearing Matt I mean nobody in Jersey right now is big enough to the point where they're going to be bought out um, and Zygmeister is huge man yeah <laughs> big it's ginormous uh, <laughs> the uh so i don't think they're really talking about that i mean the biggest the biggest thing honestly that we talk about a lot of times at the at the brewers guild is is not really talked about as much as it is it's kind of dividing the brewers guild in a way is um distributors so, obviously, I mean, this kind of steps away from what we're talking about, but one of, the big, one of the biggest issues in New Jersey right now is what breweries are allowed to do. And it's different than what wineries and cideries are allowed to do because of one law passed a while ago that re- the restaurant lobby and the dist- distributor lobby pretty much said wineries are nothing at the moment, and I don't have to care about the laws that they're passing. So they were allowed to pass a law that allowed them to have food on premise, tasting rooms, sell their own stuff, put a bunch of, um, you know, they could have uh, sales rooms outside of their tasting room and stuff like that. Because distributors like, you know, let them have their day, whatever. They're never going to become big. This is New Jersey. And then breweries come into play, mm-hmm. and they're piggybacking off of all these winery laws. Right. And all of a sudden now, all the the restaurant lobby and the distributor lobby say, you know, breweries are picking up. We can't have that. They're going to be taking so much of the stuff that we're ta- we're having right now. Uh, we're you know huge in right now, and they're practically a monopoly in a lot of places. And so now they're fighting back against it. Right. Now the the biggest difficulty is is a lot of these people in there that are trying to get all these things passed for their brewery um, are also being distributed by a lot of these distributors who are fighting us. So they're kind of divided. Their distributor is helping them a lot by being able to put their stuff into certain places because they may not be following all the laws. Conflict of interest. Well, there's not only conflict of interest, it's a conflict of they're doing stuff illegally. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, And a lot of people don't realize it. Uh, I mean, the distributors know it. Um, The restaurants usually don't. Um, In New Jersey... No distributor can own lines. And yet, I can't tell you how many times I walk into a restaurant or Mark, my sales guy, walks into a you restaurant. You can't be put on that because that's in depth. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, these are, these are bud lines or these are hundred and lines or these are um, short point lines. Um, they came in and they bought my uh, cold box and therefore only their beer can go on that line. That's illegal. You cannot do that. Didn't they just get brought up on charges for something like that? That was that was Hunter, and I think oh, they got brought, brought up on it in um, Maine. It was in Maine, not honestly, in New Jersey, but in Maine. No, but in Jersey, someone was brought uh, brought up on charges. I think it was Hunter, and and um, honestly, of all the distributors in Jersey, they were probably the least offender, in a lowest offensive of, yeah. of that issue. Yeah. So, like the reason I'm not in Jersey City, Hoboken, and Newark too much is because I can't get in there because all the lines are quote-unquote owned. Yeah. And you can't... You so can't how do you, how do you get around that, though? How do you fight know. that? 
we're we're trying to get around it. Right. We're trying to push stuff through, but the problem is is that the New Jersey Brewers Guild itself is divided because all these people that have distributors, yeah, they want the right thing done for the state, but at the same time, the illegal so, thing that their distributor might be doing is helping them sell more beer. So, so are you, are you saying so? At, at the very basic level here, from what I'm gathering, is if if you don't belong, if you don't hook up with a distributor, you're kind of screwed because most of those lines in those areas, or not most, but there's still room for you to do self distribution. There's but, a large chunk of line percentage per restaurant right. that are quote unquote Bought. purchased. But if you were with, yeah. let's say, right. hundred in, you'd be in those lines exactly, and. You can't, I mean, you can't sell the shirt off your back and make a living by selling your beer to a distributor because you're not going to get the money back that you need to make more beer with. No, I, I could. Mean, I could. But you still, you wouldn't, your your profit margin would be diminished no, my, greatly. I, honestly, my profit margin would probably be about the same because right now I've purchased a van, I hire a salesperson, I hire a delivery person and all that sort of stuff. And that money that I'm giving to those people... I would be giving to a large distribu- distribution company Okay, instead. so why, why choose go with the dis- uh, self-distribution? Because the people that I hire, that I choose, care about the product. The same, They've come reason, to the me same thing that they... we were talking about earlier tonight, which yeah. is it's the personalized experience. That's what you're going for. But you would, still, you would still have to hire somebody to go and check up on your distributor. Not necessarily. Some places don't do that. Their, their distributor so- has a salesperson... And that salesperson will come to your brewery and talk with you and care about your brand and do all that sort of stuff. And you just have to hope that they're selling your stuff. You might not have a sales rep or hire a sales rep. You, I mean, down the road, you will. You I'm don't sure. have to really hope. You can actually see it in the numbers, can you not? Well, I mean, they're, I mean, I would, you know. And are you tied to a contract? Oh, yeah. And that is the most difficult, if not impossible, contract to break, usually. Um, so uh, what we're doing right now... Um, that you know, that's that's an interesting thing. That's what's happened in Jersey. I mean, I think that's eye opening to a lot of people that don't know. Uh, it's almost as eye opening as if people were like, "Oh, this beer is awesome," and you're like, oh, "It's kind of, it's not. It's come from InBev." Not a lot of people know what InBev products are. So there's a lot going on in this industry that's very shady and falsified. And I mean, one one of the, I mean, just to just to pick why can real... you get why can you get Goose Island IPA on every tap in every in every place? <laughs> I in wonder America? why. Yeah. Well, because right. it's owned by AB InBev. Right. But one of the things that you were saying is like you know, AB InBev may own companies mm-hmm. that make good beer, mm-hmm. and one of the things that on that article that you were talking about earlier, also that we didn't really go into, about the review of people. Uh, that are the companies that are currently owned by AB and Bev that are in their what what do they call it the high end mm-hmm. um, brands that are craft breweries that were purchased by AB and Bev. Um, they're sitting there saying, "Oh, what independence means whatever," and this brand sticker that you're putting on there all of a sudden means you make better beer than me. No, it mm-hmm. doesn't. Mm-mm. It doesn't at all. All it's saying Missed is that if this beer mm-hmm. and this beer taste just as good to you know brand A. And brand B tastes the same. They're both, to, in your opinion, good beers, and you would drink both of them. Mm-hmm. And one of them has an independent sticker on it. I would choose the one that has the independent sticker because I know it goes to... the That money that I'm spending toward this beer goes to helping a town. It goes to helping a specific family. It goes to helping... It's not going to a giant corporation. It's not... 
more than likely owned outside of the United States. If I'm buying something, I prefer that it's the money for it stay in the U.S. I prefer that it go into, you know, a small a smaller business. It's the reason why I purchase a lot of the things that I purchase for the brewery. It's the reason that I like to that I'm doing self distribution and I'm hiring within for and I'm teaching all of my employees to do certain things or whatever as, as opposed to outsourcing as much as I can and saying just you know just just do that I don't care it's, you get the work done mm-hmm. you know would you sell out <sighs> make me an offer I mean <laughs> off the top of my head I would say no but at the same time if you put a billion dollars in my hand it would be probably the most difficult decision in my life. Uh-huh. And I don't know what I would do. I would. There's no doubt in my mind if someone came up to me for a billion dollars and said, yeah, we want your product. We want you to maintain your product, but we want your product under our umbrella. What does that mean to me? That means that if I get a billion dollars for the sale, I still get to produce what I want to produce when I want to produce it. Now, eventually, that but might change. But what would be the difference, difference at that point of you saying, you know what? No, uh, saying, you know what? My brand is mm-hmm. obviously making a crap ton of money. Mm-hmm. It is doing really well for another business to come over and say, mm-hmm. I want to buy you for a billion dollars. You have a large chunk ownership of said company. Mm-hmm. You want to be done with it and maybe still have some decision point? Be on the board of investors and hire another CEO. Go on vacation and come back for board meetings. Mm-hmm. You're still making money off right. of all of... You know, the dividends you're getting per year on everything. Mm-hmm. Do you need a billion dollars? Do you need 500 million? Yeah. Do you need 200 million? I mean, dude, I could tell you what I'm living off of. I And it's nowhere close to that. No, and, I'm telling you what I'm living <laughs> off It's nowhere close to that. But at um, the same time, if you tell me right now, oh, you know what? Your dividends off that company that you're getting $200 million or $500 million from, your dividends for ownership and the fact that you've hired another person to do it so you can go on vacation is $6 million a year. I'll go to the beach every fucking day, any day, off $6 million a year. (laughs) That money can also go into the bank for all of my kids and all of their college funds for whatever. And And then that stock gets passed over to them and my business stays independent, and I still have somewhat decision points on there, and I just don't have a billion. I've got six million coming to me every year. Yeah, a billion and six million are very different numbers, but at the same time, I'm living off my means. I'm doing whatever I want to do. I'm able to relax, and my company is still going strong. I I think it it probably... Well, at what point point are you making that InBev is coming to you with a billion dollars? How much are you making? I don't know. I don't know like the owners of Ballast Point. Hundreds of thousands point. of barrels a year. Hundreds of thousands. Oh, I'm no, not talking about quantity. Saying, oh, I'm talking oh, oh, about how much yeah, are you making gross. I don't gross. know what oh. percentage ownership the owners net? of Ballast Point had when someone came over to a billion. Right. What was it divided per person? I don't know. Right. But even it, if one person owned 20% of that company, that's a fuck ton of money. But how much was that person making per year off of salary and off of you know yearly... Uh, Dividends coming to them off the percentage ownership of profit sharing. 
Right. I mean, all <clears throat> uh, I mean, all these decisions are going to be made in independent, you know, based on circumstances. Oh, absolutely. Fallis point. Oh, maybe they were they had big investors that wanted to pay back and they had sold 51 percent of the business to somebody yeah. else who was actually making the decision. for. you know, you don't know all these things or no. maybe they were just fucking sick of making goddamn sculpin after 20 years of making it straight. Like this isn't exciting anymore yeah. for me. I'd really I really want to go parasailing for the rest of my life or something else. So, I mean, I, it, all, all of these things are independent, are independent. Even if, if, if I'm making right? $200 million a year, which I'll never make, but if I'm making $200 million a year and a billion dollars comes down my line, I mean, how you don't say no to a billion dollars. You don't. You don't, I don't know. I don't care who you are. If you say no to a billion dollars, you'd, you'd be looked upon as either um, awful stupid or very brave. If you really love what you're doing, maybe not. So do you, I'm sure that somewhere along the way, Sam Cooke was offered a lot of money for Sam Adams and said no because I still like running this place. But that's what he likes to do. Right, but maybe somebody else after making beer for thirty years is like, boy, I'm just fucking sick of this shit. Well, they turned down right. over here. They, right. they turned down a lot of money for this, right? Uh, New Belgium, Belgium. Yeah. yeah, they turned down a ton of money, and they're willing. They're waiting for a buyer to come up with a billion dollars for that. Yeah, but they had a lot of issues in the process of the trip because, well, they did a few things. The owner, of the the owner of the company, sold the company to her employees. Six hundred employees. Yep. So the company is now employee-owned, right there on the box. It's written on the box. Yeah. It's well-known to the public. New Belgium is employee-owned. Now, when they got an offer to sell the company, the owner was considering taking it. She was on the board. She was still the board. Yeah. She was still the decision-maker for the company. But she had to announce it to the, co- to the company, all the employees, mm-hmm. that this decision was coming through. And after being an independent craft brewery, trying to be on the edge of everything that craft means, she comes to them and says, you know what, I'm thinking about selling the company. It had huge ramifications on the morale that the, went around in the company. The culture of the company, yeah, right. There's this concept of culture in companies, right? And it... And, and really clashed. Yeah, if your culture is we're the we're the scrappy young independent startup, and all of a sudden somebody says, "Yeah, remember what we think about ourselves? Let's not think about ourselves that way anymore." That's a real problem. They they're lost not, some. Yeah. They're not a new startup. They're sixteen year old. No, but still, my, 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 uh, they, fine. Yeah. I used the wrong terminology. My point is, whatever culture they built around, we're the independent guys, yeah. and we're employee owned, and we're in this together, and mm-hmm. all this type of shit. And it's kind of like, ah, fuck it, let's not do that anymore. Like you have a real. If you've been if you've been drilling that that psychology into people for sixteen years or however long, to just turn around and say, ah, fuck it, is a real problem. Yeah. Right? You have you have a mutiny on your hands. They lost they lost some really good <clears throat> people, really key, I think, to what their business was. And they they didn't leave just for any reason whatsoever. They, they left specifically because of that, and they left. Well, they didn't. They don't know why they left. They say they uh, just didn't have any jobs lined up. So that's putting words in people's mouths. So yeah, I mean that's. Oh, okay. I let you know that I'm considering selling the business. It's completely against the culture of our business. And well, then all of a sudden, multiple they also people slipped. up and leave with no job lined up whatsoever. After and they also slipped for the first time in years. They also went down in revenue. They for, did yeah. so. There's a couple of things there that you have to look at. Mm. So, and I agree with you, Matt. I mean, read between the lines. But you can't really put that into their mouths until they come out and say it. Yeah. By the way, what are you guys putting in your mouths right now? Um, well, you actually looked it up, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, you did. Yep. Um, so this is the, uh, the New Belgium Juicy Watermelon that you guys have. It doesn't really taste that juicy. No. Well, or that, the, that the tasting watermelon. notes, uh, according to their own website, is the visual is golden, bright with perhaps a few particles, Light white foam. Aroma. 
watermelon, both rind and candy-like, cucumber, and fresh-cut grass. Mmm, love fresh-cut grass. Traces of apricot, lime, and strawberry, slightly grainy. Flavor. Yeah. <laughs> Flavor, mild sweetness, light sour, and minimal bitterness. Mouthfeel, uh-huh. mouth clean finish, refreshing, body uh, medium light. ABV 5%, 7 IBUs, ale yeast, nugget hops. Pale and caramel 80 are the only malts, and there's some additional spices of watermelon and lemon and lime peel. Sorry. So what do you think of all that? I think it's very light. There's very little tartness in this thing, if any at all. And if there's watermelon in this, which I'm sure there is because I can taste very little of it, it's probably like two Jolly Ranchers, watermelon Jolly Ranchers dissolved in a keg. <laughs> I'm getting oxidized off of it. That's the that's the rind. That's the rind. That's what I'm getting. I'm getting... <laughs> I'm getting this rindy, water, like you bit into a, a green mm-hmm. watermelon rind, <laughs> and it's got this like lime after flavor, but it's not lime. There's, it's just oxidized golden light colored beer. So is this old? I mean, I didn't look. At the no, bottom. I just think that that's like with all the different mixture of the flavors and stuff that they're putting in to try to make it that light summery kick. I think that it just it didn't come through enough. Oh well, here, here's your problem. It's nine days expired according to the enjoy-by date. That's well, why. Enjoy-by dates are stupid as fuck. <laughs> you have to put the bottling date on. You can't put an enjoy-by date because I don't know what your enjoy-by date is. It could be two months. It could be six months. It could be a year after you put that thing on. I can't tell you whatever it is. Yeah, I'm not digging this beer. It's, I, I wouldn't have a second. Let's put it that way. Which is... Okay. Surprise. <laughs> so it says here in 2000. 15 while waiting for the Astro Brewery to start producing. It had its first down year. Went from 225 million to 224 million. Or 225 million to, from 226 million. So it went down a million dollars, which is probably like 1%. Maybe. <clears throat> that, along with the decision to put the company up for sale in late 2015, took a toll on the staff. Last October, Christine Perich, a 16 year. N- New Belgian veteran Jordan had selected just a year earlier to succeed her as CEO, phoned in her resignation with no other job lined up and no public explanation. But there's speculation that because Jordan wouldn't give up control, as she's been known to say, that she is still the chair of the board, and that's where the big picture strategy mm-hmm. is. Um there's speculation that because of a control issue, control freak. And we talked about that earlier today, too. Before the show started, we were talking about how usually small mom-and-pop shops are find it very difficult to expand into the large vision companies. Um, and the biggest example, I guess, was Apple, right, with uh, <clears throat> not that not that rag. Don't use that rag. It has oil on it. Okay. We didn't uh, make a mess. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't work. With uh, Apple and with uh, Jobs, Steve Jobs, how Steve they had to fire Steve because they Steve wouldn't relinquish his control. I mean, it's it's I can get it. It's hard. It's hard to get to that expansion. I mean, how hard is it for you, Matt, to relinquish control over brewing? Uh, very. <laughs> Mainly because, uh, well, I mean, it's it. I think it's also age of my own company to begin with. It, no, I, I get it. You know, but you know, I, it, I started up the company over, off. You know, the idea that 
I brew a certain way. It gives yep. a certain flavor to the beers. It puts out the quality that I like. You stick your dick in every batch. That's what gives it that special flavor. He sticks his phallus in every batch. He dips his long balls in it. <laughs> Eight centimeter long balls. Eight centimeters of wet, sweaty balls. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, no. No, I don't do that. Uh, no, he does not do that. I test you. I would not drink that beer if he did that. <laughs> but uh, you know what? Maybe we should do an experimental batch with that, Matt. Maybe. I'll come over. I'll help. Okay. Just got to use the crane and the fork truck to lower me down. <laughs> Just throw your balls over the edge. <laughs> yeah, they're long enough. <laughs> um, no, no, no. Yeah, we but like because, because, you know, the brewery's young, and I haven't been able to really pull somebody in specifically for brewing main on the brew system and train them over to the way that I feel is the right way to be brewing that I haven't been able to relinquish control yet. I mean, I'm not going to hire someone for or have someone working there for a month, month and a half and be like, okay, yeah, there's the brew house. See ya. I'm going to go sit behind a desk. You Phone know. it in. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, down the road, my plan is to eventually relinquish control of the brewery, the brewing. Become the brew master. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> please pass the great poem. And uh, yes, <laughs> and and you know, focus more on growth of the business and moving things through in the pilot system, and you know, doing different brands of beer and stuff like that, uh, as opposed to brewing each one of the year rounds and things. But um, so down the road, I you know, I'll be relinquishing power and moving things along for more deciding power overall in the brewery, but actually making decisions for the brewery. Like passing that off to somebody else, I think would be very difficult for me to do. It's got to be hard. I mean, it's, it's your baby. It's, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's something that you are proud of. It's something that you grew from scratch. It's your idea. It's your your think tank. It's, well, it's yours. also your your culture that you put into building right. the brewery. And exactly. To relinquish that to somebody else and say, okay, now you make the decisions for it, is trusting that person enough to continue not only the right way that you've you hope the business will go or that they're going to move it in the right direction, but also keep that same culture going through it. It's basically handing your child off to your mother-in-law. Well, maybe not even that. It's like handing your, your child off to, to your neighbor your neighbor, and saying, all right, you're in charge now. Yeah. I think you yeah. did a pretty good job on your kids. Maybe you'll do a good job on mine. And <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So after, after like 20 years of being in business, turnover rate has increased 10% over at New Belgium. Hmm. That's nearly doubled. In the last couple of years, um, twenty-year company though. I mean, that happened at my company after about twenty years too. Nobody left for the first twenty years, and then all, at that twenty years, people started to drop drop out. Yeah, when yeah. I was with pharmaceuticals, it was yeah. about fifteen years before yeah. we saw that happen. Yeah, but that's that's sign of growth. That's growth. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. you you let go of the people who have founded the company, and yeah. you go on with new new blood, and that's how it gets to the next level, really. It sucks. It really does suck because there's something special about that small little environment, yeah. um, and it's changed. It's it's a pain. It's a growing pain, and that's that's bound to happen. Yeah. It's, it's just uh, if you want to get to that level. I mean, and it, quite frankly, I mean, how big do you want to be as a brewer? I mean, is it your goal to be bought out by a million do- a billion dollars? Is it your goal just to be like I'm? I'm happy with what I'm doing now. I mean, so you brought up that point too. For me. I don't think I'm ever going to get to the point where someone's going to come in and dangle that carrot in front of my nose. I don't want to get that big. I just want to be able to sustain my my little personal mm-hmm. life and pay it forward to the people that I love and the people that I know who love the craft as much as I do. 
And that's where I'm at. And I know that's, I mean, that you and I hit it off on cylinders a couple years ago when we first yeah. met each other when you brewed here. It was like, yeah, this guy is exactly the same as me. And I know that that's what he's going to do. And he's going to be formidable force at this regional level. This is my this is my little vision, but it, formidable force at this regional level, producing really good stuff for people that are around, loving what he does, producing it, paying it forward to people, and just expanding the the culture and giving back to the town to which he loves, and that's that's what we like to do. And that's small town, that's small business, that's what we do. Yeah. Um, this regional stuff, it's it's. It, God bless you if you ever get to be that big where someone comes along and says, here's a billion dollars, man. That's that's so, phenomenal. I mean, right? my, my plan isn't to get to the point where I'm the size of Ballast Point, that I'm the size of New Belgium, that I'm the size of Lagunitas. You know, I, my hope is to stay, I mean, I'm already at the point that I'm still look, I'm, you know, looking at where my business plan was, what my business plan is, and then obviously into the future of what it may still become. But uh, my goal still is to go at max Boston down to DC and have all the cities in between New York, Philly, you know, stuff like that. Uh, so Massachusetts, PA, Connecticut, New York, Rhode Island, New Jersey, Delaware, Maryland. Well, there's nothing wrong with going even bigger than that. I mean, there's nothing I mean, wrong with being in no, all 48 me, like, The reason states. that I, a, I want to fit... The Northeast is, what, 100 million people? It's a pretty big... But to me, to, me, to, fit, yeah, yeah, to fit that area that right there, pretty big. to me, is the perfect area. Right. I don't have to do anything above and beyond too crazy to my beer. I don't have to go through pasteurization. I don't have to go through ridiculous, you know, sterile filtration and everything to that would I, I would feel yeah. would change... Right. The flavor to increase shelf life, yep. to transport it, you know, a third of the way across the U.S. Right. I can keep it within what would still, for a regional level, be considered a local section, and get fresh beer to all those areas. Be able to supply and get fresh beer to all that area without having to go to send my beer all the way to Colorado or something like that. Um, I feel a lot of times the the big problems in breweries come when they want to get outside of that region and they're like okay you know what i'm i've come to a certain size right now that i have to sacrifice the quality of my beer to increase my volume and i don't want to get to that point yep. i want the quality of my beer to stay where it's at you know i'm not gonna lie there have been times when i've had to dump a batch of beer because i tasted it and there was an issue with it that it didn't have the quality that i wanted it to go out the door with and i put it down the drain and I don't want to have to get to the point where I'm making batches of beer that don't have that taste quality that I want it to have because that's what it needs to be to be able to transport somewhere. I don't want it to be yeah. to the point where you're sitting here going, oh, well, if you have that beer, you know, you're sitting here drinking some imports. And you're like, well, if you had that beer in Germany, it's so much better than it is here right now. It's like, great, great, but I'm drinking this over here and I spent the money on it being it over here, so... Well, that actually, not that it's really the same as what you're saying, but <clears throat> you know, for the longest time, people in California didn't understand the New England IPA craze because there's yeah. no effing way to get those things across <laughs> the country. <laughs> that just it's impossible, yeah. right? Because if you did, <laughs> it would be shot by the time it got to the Mississippi River. Yeah, right. So, uh, but it is that that sort of same idea, which is if you if you're making a 
a fresh quote unquote beer that you've got to you got to sell it in your local region quickly, or else you got to go through great pains. I've heard Char- uh, Charlie Bamforth, he's the he's the professor from UC Davis, I think, talk about you know because he's he's a he I think he worked for Fuller's. I may be wrong about that. Uh, but he was their, their their QC guy or quality control guy and also their shelf life guy. You know, hey, we have to transport this beer to, to India. You know, we have to put anti-foaming agents in and we have to put this stabilization agent in. We got to mm-hmm. do this, that, the other thing. And it's like the amount of science you had to throw into that beer to keep it stable, to send it, you know, to keep it on the shelf for three to six months is, yeah, it's, it's yeah. mind boggling. Mind-boggling. So I could see why you don't want to get into that bullshit. But you know, you, you don't you don't know what's going to happen down the road. You no, really I know. Yeah. You know, and it, it it could be the fact that you you have become the New England um, Mid Atlantic regional brewery of the country, where someone comes and approaches to you and says, "No, we're dangling that carrot in front of you because you you got the hold on the market. You got the beer everyone's looking for." And who knows. Not good, man. I hope that does happen to you. I hope that someone does come down and says, you know, we're going we're gonna to purchase that for you and we're going to expand your production and move out west. Um, that's, I think that's, if you're in business and you're a business person, that's a goal that everyone has to I mean, be that guy being or in be business, that woman. You want, obviously, to constantly be increasing and changing and right. growing into new markets because you have to have new in business to stay in business. Yep, yep. And I, I think with beer, you can have new. There's always this new going on. And getting back, you were saying that uh, that guy um, that you were just talking about. Charlie Banforth. I believe he's a, he's, he was, for the longest time, a professor at UC Davis. For, uh, in their, and then he was hired know. by who? No, no, he was originally at Fuller's in the okay. UK. Yeah. So uh, at a different level, yeah. New Belgians working to become a new formidable force in the brewing industry i think they want to take on the likes of sierra mm-hmm. nevada i think they want to take on the likes of the sam adams i think they want to be that next company at least according to her outlook yeah. they went ahead and hired this guy ruari uh ruari Tumi, who used to work for uh the company out in belgium um the duval duval yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and he was there uh, Jordan hired Rari, a native of Ireland, uh, vice president of marketing in uh, Diego Diageo. Mm. Diageo. Diageo. Which is. Diageo is a huge, huge distribution, huge distribution company. Yeah. yeah, a worldwide um, distributor of alcohol. Uh, Marketed Guinness in Toronto, New York, and, uh, and in uh, Lagos, Nigeria. So she's got this guy in there now going from a t shirt and jeans company to a suit. She's looking to move forward with making this bigger, oh, yeah. regardless of whether or not she can, she wants to. And I think that's probably part and parcel of why we're seeing that movement from them. Um, we'll see what happens. I mean, yeah, no, re- regardless of where, where they're at right now and how things are, are changing from what it was before, and people saying, oh, you know, it's bad for you know, the independent craft movement or whatnot by, by having her push out from where she is right now, she's going... And pushing forward, if it if it has to change the culture for it, she's going to change it. If it has, you know, whatever whatever has to be done to move to that level, she's going to see it done. And I, mean, I have no doubt that New Belgium will move forward and become a larger brewery still, and take a larger chunk of the market. Because um, she is she's a go getter. She is. <laughs> she doesn't. She doesn't. Uh... Because she, she was, she and her husband started this. They took a second mortgage out on their home to buy equipment, and in two thousand one, 
uh, her husband left her or left the business? I think it became too difficult for the two of them with what her goal with the business was, the amount of time she was spending on the business and everything else. And Well, that's another thing too, man. She is, she, yeah. I mean, you, you listen to her talk. I've seen her at craft brewer conventions. I've heard her give speeches and stuff like that. She is not only committed to her, she is married to her business. She, everything to her is this business and you can see it in how she talks. Yeah. And Work if you, life balance is difficult when you're trying to when you are yeah. single source single handedly trying to take a business from zero to a billion or whatever, right? Like, yeah. yeah, it's a yeah. it's a major it's a well it's a I mean even in the even in the commitment. steps that I'm I'm doing right now for starting the business and moving the business business forward and growing the business and everything like that, I mean the hours that I'm putting into this alone is, you know, I can I can see the difficulty, let alone trying to grow a a, a business that's tens of thousands, around hundreds of thousands of barrels. Let, let's get forward. you married with three kids right now. How good would that relationship be at home, given how hard you're working? Right? I would be perfectly fine if my wife was hitting me with a pan. <laughs> <laughs> because I know I deserve it. No, but my point is you yeah. know how hard that would be. Oh, absolutely. Right? You, you, this would be, it'd be insane. Yeah, right. So what are you drinking now, boys? Uh, you put in front of us Citradelic some lime. Citradelic, yeah. There's there's lime in this. There there is there's lime malt in this beer. <laughs> <laughs> Visual straw yellow bright light fluffy white foam with sticky lacing. You feel that stickiness mm-hmm. in that lacing? Aroma lime up front. There is lime. Like limeade or fresh limes. Fresh it's like fresh lime zest. There you so go. here's here's uh here's something interesting. Um you say fresh lime zest? This is what, citradella? Citradelic lime. Hmm. To me, you get the lime zest off of it, right? Right away. It's just yeah. zest of lime. Yep. Zesty. It is zesty. <laughs> okay, so the aroma is lime up front, like limeade or fresh limes, lemon, lighter pine, and fresh cut grass, mild ginger, pineapple, and white wine. That's what they say. They the like aroma. just fresh cut grass. I, I never, they like the fresh cut grass. I never <laughs> get any of those smells. Nah. Uh, pale malt aromas of honeycomb, corn, and bread. Okay. Mm. Flavor, mild sweetness with corn? Even, well, yeah. even lighter sourness and bitterness. Mouth feels slightly coating. It becomes a bit puckering and definitely spritzy yeah. with a medium light body and clean, slightly dry finish. You know what this beer is? It is Tostitos lime chips oh, in, in a, a cup. In a cup. This is exactly what that is. If you eat Tostitos lime chips, this is drinking Tostitos lime chips. Without, without the zing of the lime, though. There's, so, there's a very faint lime in it. I mean, I'm getting lime all abound, but yeah. when you're eating just Tostitos lime chips, you get that. Yeah, well, you get the salt with it, If this was a goza, goza it'd be yeah. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> should, I go get some, should I go get some salt? Or mm-hmm. just no, dip no, your no. sweaty balls in there? It'll be... Yeah, so yeah. 5.2% <laughs> ABV. Oh, I showered today. 20, 20, 21 IBUs, ale yeast, 155 calories, nugget, amarillo, huel melon, and cascade. Let me guess, they use a little bit of C80. Nope. <laughs> C80 and nugget seem to be their thing. Well, nugget's in here. Pale malt and wheat malt. And house strain of yeast, which is Chico. Um, Pale malt and wheat malt. That's mm. it. No, so smoke si- malt, no smoke malt. No, no. lime flavor. No there's, lime malt. there's smoke malt in here. Um, so Sam Adams was, you know, 
you hear these stories about Jim Cook complaining about breweries not having or places of his not having his beer on draft and you know ranting and raving about it but he says here if you make great beer and people love it and drink it and more and more of them love it and drink it the beer geeks will turn against you mm-hmm. you're talking about roughly about five percent of the population but they're an influential five percent so craft beer geeks can object but new belgium recovered from the 2050 fall to sell more beer than ever last year, booking two hundred thirty-four million, with a net profit of about seventeen million. Mm. In the first four months of two thousand seventeen, sales of Sam Adams, Sierra Nevada slid twenty percent and eleven percent. Wow. Respectively, according to the Nielsen data, New Belgian sales surged eight and a half percent. Oh, I thought you before. said they went down. New Belgium. New went Belgium down. went up. Theirs oh. went up. Oh, theirs went up. The Sierra, Nevada. Sierra Nevada and Sam Adams. Sam down. Adams, 20%. Yeah. Sierra well, Nevada, Sierra 11 was, well, yeah. well, the thing is, I think... Uh, Sierra Nevada is... Well, here's the thing. You know why they, you know why they surged? The they surged because New Belgium's doing stuff like this. Sure, because right, because they're selling they're more, out than, they're selling more than just stuff. fat tire now. Right. Their fat tire was the right. baseline, and now right. all but the other things they're Sierra putting Nevada is putting out the same stuff. They are. Sam Adams, they're putting out the same stuff. Yep. Actually, yep. Sam Adams has a lot of different things. They, they have a lot, but they've always had a lot. Yeah. But they don't have a lot of necessarily new stuff. They're they have I mean they have Angry Orchard. That's their company. Um they're putting out new things. But it, it's Sam Adams themselves, Boston Beer Company. They have their same beers. It's the beer that tastes the same over and over again. They have se- their I guess their seasonals are I mean they have like Porch Rocker now and some other mm-hmm. shit, you know, I don't know, some things like that. But yeah, you're right. I mean I'm sure. Th- I'm sure if you looked at their sales, it's probably like you know, some very high percentages is the Boston Lager and then everything else. I mean, no, I think it has a lot to do with the marketing. When you look yeah. at this, you don't necessarily think New Belgium. You think yeah. Citradelic. Yeah. Uh, you know, so or you think of something else like um, you don't really see the name first. Sam Adams beers. You know, they're all Sam Adams beers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, same with Sierra Nevada. And when you think of them, you think of pale ale, and you think of Boston Lager. Those are the only two you think of. But you don't know. But it is, but it is an interesting point. So, though. But when you think it of AB InBev, it's Bud. Budweiser, yeah. So the same thing, you know. Right. These people are trying to get one beer that kicks them through, and they just need it to stick. And the problem is, is that with the craft beer scene, you need shit tons of different styles of beers. Yeah. And they need to be constantly changing. But to get because into the that, big beer, the, you need one big beer. beer. Yeah. In here, they say something about um, the biggest battle they had when they moved over to the East Coast was not people Asheville. not yeah. people not knowing who they were. New Belgium yeah. was. Yeah. I think that's a bonus. I think that's a benefit for not yeah. knowing who they were because that puts you who that the puts you in, that? The new category. in a new category. Yeah. So that kind of well, helps. Them. So it's an interesting point. I mean, I obviously you'd have to look at all the sales numbers to to know this, but I, you wonder if. If what Sam Cook is correct, which is if five percent of beer drinkers are craft beer drinkers, and the number of so that's constant, and the number of breweries keeps increasing, but they're still drinking the same amount of beer, and it's still the same five percent of people, that somebody's gonna there are gonna be winners and losers in that. So the oh, little yeah. guys are are not taking money out of Budweiser's hands; they're taking money out of Sam Cook's hands, maybe, you know, yeah. right? Possibly. So if, if it really is just five percent, and it's well, not. The hope growing. is that that number is growing. Well, the hope is, but is it? I mean, I mean, that's I can, what I'm saying. That's what you'd, somebody'd have to look at the numbers. Myself I mean, personally, I can see the number growing. 
because I've seen multiple people since I've opened the doors come to me and say, I've drank nothing but Coors Light or I've drank nothing but Miller Light and I love your Kolsch. Yeah. So I can see people transition. They might not now just drink craft beer. So I don't know what that craft beer drinker now I drink your Kolsch. stat sits. When they start saying, I used to drink just just uh, uh, Coors Light and now I only drink the Admiral's <laughs> flagship, then you have converted yeah, then them. Then I've converted <laughs> But at the same time, there are certain styles of beers that I have that are... Yeah. They're good you transition know, door beers. openers. Yeah, door They're, openers. The blondes and Kolsch's and so they tend to be that. People that want to come into the brewery because it's a great place to hang out, you know, yeah. in Hackettstown, they're going to come in, they're going to drink the Kolsch. They see it in town, they're going to drink the Kolsch. They get cans of it, they're going to drink the Kolsch. But they might not just drink it. It may be 20% of yeah. the beer that they're drinking. To me, it's still a win. It may not qualify them as a craft beer drinker. Good point. Gents, you want to take a break? We're going to take a short talk, you break, You want to talk more about this, uh, no, this year's Citradelic? We have one more go? One more yeah, to go. one more. I think we, I think we take ex- a quick break. The extra ranger or whatever the yeah. fuck it's called. And then we'll come back and we'll drink our ranger. Voodoo ranger? Voodoo ranger, maybe? That yeah, could be. Yellow. Yellow ranger? Uh, or yellow m- break? <clears throat> Muddy more from power. Oh, yes. Voodoo ranger. Yeah, you were right. Mm-mm. Toodaloo. Be back. Because there's like a thousand Voodoo Ranger. Okay, this is Voodoo Ranger 8 Hot Pale Ale. Yep. Um, Matt, Matt had to make it official. I had to make it official that we were back because we started talking about stuff and I knew we were have to repeat ourselves again at some point. Hold so on a second. I thought we might as well. Go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you go over the hops that are back in this one again? Because yeah, I'm pretty is, sure on is, their description it, they say on the side it's packed with citrus and tropical fruit flavors. From the eight different varieties of hops, but I'm pretty sure only three of these actually give citrus or tropical fruit flavor, and they probably just loaded it with that and just had extra on their Nugget. contract. Yeah. Nugget, which they probably use for what, base bittering? Well, they use that for everything. Yeah. Centennial. Probably yeah. mid-hop. It's what? Mid-hop. Cascade. Mm-hmm. Citrus. Orange. Yeah. Nelson Salvin. Grapes. Lemon. Grapes. Amarillo. Amarillo. Dog shit. Give some tropical fruit. <laughs> Mosaic. Tropical, tropical fruit. fruit. Dank. Simcoe. Piney. Piney citrus. Citra. Citrus. Citra. So Nugget and Centennial, we're saying, are not, but the other six are. Well, Centennial is, too. Centennial's yeah. got a little. Centennial's like super citrus. Super, or cascade. super cascade. But even even the Cascade and Centennial, they give other stuff beside the citrus. I mean, I, mean, I feel like, like of the citrus and tropical fruit fish. flavors that would come through with this, Citra and there's mosaic. so much other flavors yeah. that should be coming through well so that's my question i'm not tasting this beer so the question i have is how can you have eight hops in here and it not be a jumbled mess of shit it is a jumble <laughs> <laughs> <I just laughs> like a sip of it. there's 
Much more than besides citrus and tropical fruit. Going, there's wow. Yeah, we got a bunch of hops left. What do we do with them? <laughs> Let's make Voodoo Ranger Eight Hop Pale Ale. <laughs> how many hops are there? I want to do the eight. All right. Let's just see how many there are after we're done adding them. If I had to pick one hop out of here, I couldn't because they're fucking all over the place. And they're even. I mean, it's not like bitter. It's not. There's a little. I would say. It's not juicy. Ma- Mandarin orangish would be the most. Probably the citra and mosaic coming yeah. through, but it's not. It's not. So here, here's the thing. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. Works in brewing. It works in fucking brewing. There's a reason why single malt, single hop work in brewing. Although it's not as exciting as you know a conglomerate. Uh, single hop, single single hop, single malt works, but. Single hop. Two malt, two malts, two, two, malts. two hops. Uh-huh. Is a little it gets better. better. Yep. A few malts in the right proportion and a few, a few hops malt. to to you have to know those hops that you're using so they can fill in the pitfalls of right. some of the other ones. That to me is perfection. If you go above and beyond that and use too many, at that point you're just you get lost. You're throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. I have these brewers come in here vehemently. There's like seven different malts. They're going to the malt bill. Seven different malts, and three of which all do the same kind of characteristics. Everything else does. I've had some guy come in here and get victory and, and biscuit malt. And I haven't, I, I tried to suggest, but I haven't argued with them. If, they, if that's what they want to do, that's so, so be it. But they're throwing money to the wind. Mm. You're going to get the same flavor profile as you would out of a 20 and a 30. Yeah. Almost, like very close. But I've had people come in here and do 20 and 30. This crystal 60 and crystal 75 or crystal 80. Mm. It's like uh, you're shooting yourself in the foot or you're just spending money, but you don't need to. I'm going to get some pale malt, some Pilsner malt, <laughs> some wheat malt, some flaked wheat, flaked oats, and flaked barley. Right. <laughs> they do. They had, they yeah. actually, uh, I'm going to get some biscuit malt. I'm going to throw in some victory malt, maybe a C10 and C20. Some pale malt and some um, Maris Otter. Okay. That's going to get me. There's a brewer. You can simplify all this stuff down and make it a lot easier for yourself. Make it taste a lot better. Not muddle up the background of your flavors. Pick three. Pick, if if you want a base malt, if you want to mix up your base malts, you know, do a base, a flaked, and a caramel malt or something. Do a, you know, throw in... A uh, slightly higher toast, if you want. I've got no problem doing Carapils mostly pale with a yep. little bit of Munich, yep. a caramel malt, and a flaked. Four, you're, you're you know good. what? You're Fine. Good. Yeah. Four, sometimes five work if they're very different from each other. If they, if it, if it has to go through for complexity. But a lot of times at that point, then you're picking one hop for just for some bitterness because it's a malt forward. But when you're going with hops, if you're picking more than f- four, four to me is like max. You shouldn't be doing. More than four types of hops. You have your bittering hop. You could choose from a variety of clean bittering hops. Warrior, Simcoe, or Warrior, Summit, uh, Columbus, Magnum, um, Chinook. Um, there's a couple. There's like a handful, maybe a half dozen of ones you that got, work You have plenty really of well. bittering hops to go from, but then once you go into your flavor and aroma, yep. you have to have three. Yep, I agree. Because Don't do more than three. Right. You, you do more than three, you muddle it all up. Um for instance, really citrus hops. If you're doing citrus hops, only citrus hops, two really work well together. Amarillo Citra. 
Amarillo Mosaic, Mosaic Citra, you know, um, whatever, Amarillo Mosaic. Whatever you're doing, I think two Citra hops work together. But if you want to throw a third one in there, make it something like a Citra Piney, maybe Chinook or maybe Simcoe. Add a different quality. Add a different quality that's not in there already. Look at when you drink. I love I love smash beers because of They're the ability to taste that yeah. one style of hop. Yeah. But every time I drink a smash beer, there's always a hole somewhere in it. Mm-hmm. But figure out where that hole is and what you can fill it. Mm-hmm. So Amarillo, it's got holes. Citra, it's got holes. You know, what flavor por- portion, what little bit is it missing? Is it missing a middle? Is it missing an end? Then drink another smash beer. Where is that missing? Right. Can it fill up another piece? Do they have similar flavor qualities with another one? And write these notes down, and then look where they overlap and put them together. Yeah, and think about when well, that's when those there, smash is a really good learning exercise mm-hmm. on both ends, the, both the malt and the yeah, uh, no, absolutely. You get, a, you get a decent beer out of yeah. it, mm-hmm. and you can learn a lot about the individual hops. Learn, um, learn also when when those flavor profiles are actually accentuated in the brew yeah. session. When your flavor hops will come to taste instead of just bitterness, or when your aroma hops come into when they're aroma. Um, Brewing 101, I mean, read up on it, look at it, come see me, come see Matt, mm. check it out. I mean, there's there's a lot to do. And there's, uh, it's like a paint by numbers or a painting session when you're doing a watercolor and you're using yellow for your sun. A little bit of orange in that yellow sun makes it pop. A little bit of white makes it look even better. A um, little bit of blue, a little bit of yellow, a little bit of orange, a little bit of green, a little bit of purple. It all turns it to gray, right? So don't do too much. Always do that little bit that accentuates. And Matt was right. Figure out where those gaps are. Do a smash recipe to begin with. Do a single malt, pale ale, American two-row, rare two-row from America. Or avant-garde two row, or whatever two row you can figure out. Maybe Maris Otter. Do a Maris Otter and do a single malt Amarillo, single malt Mosaic. Maris Otter is a great smash malt. And then it's and then go great, from there. Great depth of yeah flavor. Yeah, it is. It's it's one of the more robust two row out there. But you know what? Try a Pilsner. Pilsner comes to crackery, very light color. It'll it'll leave the hops to itself. You know. Um, do a clean ale strain of yeast. Chico strain, USO5, mm-hmm. Bry97 from Lalamond, maybe WLP001 from White Labs, or 1056 from Y Yeast. Use those very clean strains so you can get an idea of what those flavors are. And try it out. Use one type of liquid extract or dry extract so you have a single flavor of malt. But um, don't overdo it. I mean... Eight hops is hard to discern. It's hard. Maybe it'll work once in a while. It might work. But it's very few and far between where you're like, that really does work together. These eight hops is a muddled mess right now. And I've used five, but one of them didn't really count because it was just a base bittering. Mm. So it was really four in a dry hop, and it worked, but it was... So you, it was you dry hop different than what you used in the boil? Yeah, yeah the, it was just basically, yeah, it's just CTZ early to give bitterness, mm-hmm. and then and then a, Amarillo, Simcoe, uh, Citra, whatever. I mean, whatever the heck the combination was. Yeah. I've, th- I've done four hops late many different times. Three is better. 
Because <laughs> whenever, like, whenever I dry hop with something, yeah. typically it's a combination, not necessarily all of what I've put already in the beer, but sometimes it's a combination of, or a single version of what I've already put into flavoring aroma. Yeah. So if I've done, like, CTZ for bittering, Citra Mosaic Amarillo, and then I'll throw in Mosaic or whatever for my dry yeah. hop, then it's still a four-hop beer. Ah, uh, yeah, okay, no, I, I got, got you. you. No, I, got so, you. I, got, I got what, so, you, I got what you're doing. It's a still four-style, right, right. yeah, four so, types of hops. So the difference I've, is when, when I've done what I'm talking about, it's it's I've done no f- flavor hop and all Whirlpool okay. and dry. Mm-hmm. That's So, so you, you it's, a little at 100, it's a little different. That's all. 200 degrees to like 150, you're still getting when it, yeah, keep it isomerization from there. You're still you get, getting... You yeah. get isomerization really down to 180. Yep. Yeah. If you can drop your boil down to 160, 170, 160, and do a whirlpool on that and then throw stuff in, you're really pulling aromas Strictly and aroma, flavors, yep. and you're not getting bitterness at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, um, there are some BUs coming through, true. What, uh, even a whirlpool. What I found interesting is that I've... I've done a couple of experiments where I've used Citra Mosaic, Citra Amarillo, Galaxy Mosaic, and I've dry hopped with Mount Hood. I dry hopped with East Kent Goldings um, for very interesting results. I mean, it's you get that quintessential earthy smell, but you get the citrus flavor. It's very, very strange. Um, so by dry hopping with a different hop, I mean, this beer is not bad. No, it's made well. It's just I feel that the the flavors that are coming through are not distinct. They're no, they're not. not they're not identifiable. Specific. It's very, it's very. What is that paint board called where you put your paints on? Palette. No. Well, it is called a palette, but... Um, all all of the flavors are bleeding into each other. There's no distinct one or another. There's no like, oh, I'm getting citrus. Oh, I'm getting tropical fruit. There's there is just citrus fruited tropical whatever the fuck you want to call it. It's it's a mess. By all means, the, if, the, you, the, if you're the, at home and you have all these hops laying around and there's not like a lot of them, you know, quarter ounce of this, quarter ounce of that. By all means, throw them into a beer and try it. The, the the back flavor that's coming through of the hops are just all a, a jumbled bunch. I'm not saying they don't work together. It's an easy drinking beer. The it's well fermented. It's well well brewed. It's just to me it it doesn't pop like when I'm when when I drink something just like when I eat something. It's like if I'm having a steak, I don't want it seasoned with everything. I don't want Southern barbecue teriyaki and then salt, pepper, garlic. But they they knew what they were going into, so that's why they made it balanced. Now, balance to me means that you fall on between forty five and fifty five on the Bugu scale. Inter- international bidding is divided into the specific gravity or starting gravity, and you get right around the fifty percentile. When you hit that balance, you're not going to discern any difference between malt and hops. And if you're going to do something like this, you need to be in that range. My my big issue with this beer is if I'm imagining myself as not a craft beer drinker and there are certain trigger words out there like hops and the flavors that are associated with hops, 
there's a grassiness, there's a bitterness, there's a vegetal flavor that comes. To me, the flavors are blending together so much that the only distinct flavor I'm getting is vegetal. Not bad as in DMS, as in, you know, oxidized hops. Just, chlorophyll. It's chlorophyll. And it's the only one that's coming through from every single one of these hops that's coming through at the end. And if I was a person that didn't like hops, I would taste this or I'd smell this and I'd be like, oh, that's a hoppy beer. Where I've known people who don't like IPAs, don't like pale ales, to have tried a IPA or a pale ale that, um, I don't know what Warren's doing. <laughs> but have tried an IPA or a pale ale that have had distinct certain flavors of citrus or pine. Warren, you that bag sound? It's like, it's, it's like. It's going to be bad. It's a challenge. It comes through like... I'm uh, sorry, like everybody. A, like a siren song. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> God damn it, Warren. <laughs> but, uh... Like, you have a citrus flavor distinct, or you have a pine flavor, you have a tropical fruit flavor, and people that have not liked IPAs or not liked Pelas have tried those. <laughs> Die in a fire, bro. <laughs> and... Have, and, like, been able to like them because they've had a distinct flavor to it as right. opposed to a huge, muddled mess. Right, I agree. I agree. I feel like I've been talking about that for, like, the past five minutes because you've been ripping apart a plastic bag and <laughs> chewing it to the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Warren knows all about the quality of an audio podcast. <laughs> I breathe heavy. Fuck you, Carl. <laughs> Robert Jean Quinta. I got big plums. No, dumbass. <laughs> That's what he said. I got big plums. No. What did he say? Then? I can feel it down on my plums. Uh, oh, no, he said I got big plums. Okay. Yeah, I got big plums and I cannot lie. All right, Warren, what the fuck were you doing with the bag? I'm trying to get to the goodies. So we ripped the entire bag apart to open up the... And rattled, rattled the rattled sweet, the bag deep and... exterior, the, the, the interior, but it, in order to open it up the proper way, according to Warren, it took an hour. It's like a band-aid, Warren. You just gotta, just gotta rip it off. So I don't... I, I don't know. There are ways that you can make the boogoo scale work for you. I really think the boogoo scale is the answer to a lot of people's questions. No, I think of this, the the overall bitterness to grain ratio works. Mm-hmm. It's it's the muddledness of the flavors that, to me, sits as a weird bitterness, especially in the linger. <laughs> in a lingering linger. flavor. <laughs> in the linger, is it like a... in a linger? In the linger. That's like in the there's a there's a realm. It's called the linger realm, and there's there's quite a bit of beer out there that sits in that linger realm. There is, but it's like that. It's I like that. The, I like that term, man. It's in the linger, <laughs> but it sits in the back of your tongue at the end, and it's just like that's the linger. Meh, you know, it's just there's no door that closes at the end. No, it, it just keeps because, going. It just goes on. Because the beginning flavor of this beer is pleasant uh-huh. and easy to drink, 
that flavor that finishes on the end, that on the back of your tongue and everything like that. It's the linger. linger. Yeah, <laughs> the linger makes you want to just drink another to hope that the linger doesn't go. But it just keeps coming back. That linger, that motherfucking linger. It's true. I think I'm gonna use that from now on. The linger. It's a good phrase. It really hits home what what you're talking about. It's like the taint. Space between your balls and your asshole. Between the, between the, the mid taint? flavor and the the final finish, it's the linger. Cunnilinger. <laughs> sort of like cunnilingus. Yeah, we got that, Warren. <laughs> we yeah, got that. Th- it was a little on the nose there, <laughs> Warren. If it was on the nose, you're in the wrong spot there, buddy. <laughs> Whose nose? <laughs> Which nose are you talking about, Warren? How long is the your giver nose? Give her the receiver, because yes, if the receiver is getting it on the nose, you're, you're right. You're in the wrong spot. <laughs> in the wrong spot. <laughs> yes, we've hit that point in the uh, talk. Warren is punchy. <laughs> Been a long fucking week, my friend. Just one of those days. So, what yes. kind of, um, did we mention this? I don't think we mentioned this. We're talking We're about We're drinking ling- new Belgium beer today. <laughs> We're talking, <laughs> We're talking about hops and how the linger mm-hmm. is and how you want to keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. Did we talk about your hop fest coming up? I think we did in the beginning. No, I don't think we did. No, we did. Yeah, Not did. much. We mentioned it. That's next week. No, two weeks. August 12th. A lot of stuff going on that week. What else you got going on that week? We got a tap takeover with B. McNally's um, on the 8th Where we may try to figure out how to do a show from that somehow. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be able to work, but we'll figure something out. Hmm. Um, I think I'm just going to have to, I'm going to be probably walking around. that's, That's their first tap takeover. They've never done a tap takeover before at B. McNally's. So their first tap takeover, August eighth, we're gonna be kind of promoting um, Hopfest there. So they're gonna have certain beers that aren't available at Hopfest but are very hop forward. Um, Would you mind if we did a show there? We can do a show there. I just don't know how much time I'm gonna be able to dedicate to sitting down and being on the show. We had it intermittently. If bees is fine with it. I'll talk to Mark, see what he says. If he says no, then I'm not going to push the issue. But I think it'd be pretty cool. Mention to him that, you know, can help promote B. McNally's. We get, like, mention to him how many listeners we have. He's right up in the alley over there. Uh, All ton of them. Actually, I had a person at the Cheers for Chester over the weekend come up to me and be like, I listen to your podcast. I'm like, it's like I found like one of the golden tickets. Like, like you know? that's a, such a, 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 a out of billions in. of people in this uh-huh. world. I found another one of our listeners. And you're like, oh, that's so good. And then you start thinking about the things you talked about. And you're like, uh, yeah, don't. You know me. that I prefer to do a dude in the ass and finish. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everyone, everyone I bought that up you've to. Heard, you, hey, sir, you've heard about me, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, everyone I bought that up to. I look into the distance and go. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah. Oh, you heard my podcast. That's great. Uh, fuck. Oh fuck. 
<laughs> You're one of the few people that think less of me now. <laughs> not at all. They might not have listened to that one. What do you mean that one? It's every We've single one of them. Eighteen <laughs> straight every episodes now. Single fucking episode. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Somehow it gets brought up every single episode. So you know what? I'm gonna have guests come by. To bees? Yeah. Oh Jesus Christ. I'll have them follow you around. Hi, John. John, we love you. He can't hear you now because you're 14 feet from the microphone. Heart. <laughs> oh, that was that was painful to watch, Warren. So Matt was shaking his head no. What? And now his hair looks like it, too. What? I got bad comb over. You're losing your hair from the brewery, huh? That's bad, bro. Ripping it out. <laughs> you turned 30 and it all fell apart. <laughs> No, that's 40. He's got 10 years to go. Um, 10 years until the bald spot is distinguished. <laughs> until you start looking like a monk. I don't think you have that problem, though. Your dad has a full head of hair. So is your, is your grandfather? Yeah, they, they got the uh, the deep V. Well, everybody's, every, yeah, everybody gets the They got the deep V. Yeah. <laughs> I used to have a hairline practically straight above my eyebrows. But isn't it, isn't I got it the straight, uh, the mother's side of the family? That hair Mom's dad. Through? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about his hair. <laughs> All right, boys. I think we're done. All right. Hmm? We have so much more to talk about, though. <sighs> Let's talk about muddled hops. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about right. you and Okay, yeah, I this, think we're done. This show's over. <laughs> Warren's singing. Bad things it ain't happen. over till the fat Let's man sings. About <laughs> sex. What are you saying? <laughs> it's over. Say I'm goodnight, not boys. Yeah, I'm going to say uh, goodnight, boys. Cut! <laughs> Good oh, night. that was lame. Cut! <laughs> <laughs>
Was that real? That was real. Holy <laughs> cow. Sounded like one of those fart machines. <laughs> that was impressively dangerous. Could have crapped yourself. I know, I'm just that you never know before you never trust a fart, Carl. <laughs>